You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Nolan. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccans. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. This is part two of our episode on the breach of the U.S. Capitol in the course of the attempted coup that occurred on January 6th, 2021. Here are the facts. As we mentioned in our previous episode, uh, we were ex- we've been exploring the facts of the matter as they occur at the time from the rally to the blow by blow of the invasion, the evacuation. Uh, we do hope that you have listened to the first part of that episode. As we alluded to at the end of part one of that episode, this part of the episode is also being recorded on January 7th. We are entering the realm of some speculation. We're trying our best to stick with things that have been proven. However, we do want to issue the disclaimer that some of the things we discussed today may be answered between the time we record this episode and the time it publishes 
on Monday. That's right, folks. This is a full episode coming to you on Monday. We will air a strange news segment later in the week. So hold tight for that. As a matter of fact, hold tight in general because things are getting very murky very quickly. Here's where it gets crazy. Chaos, gentlemen. Chaos and fatalities. We talked about, we raised a point earlier about why we have made the decision not to refer to this group of insurrectionists as protesters. Uh, I think we can agree there is a hell of a difference between smashing the window of a Starbucks and invading a nation's capital while Congress is in session in hopes of subverting democracy. Or as the supporters of these acts would argue, uh, attempting to save democracy, I guess. Either way you slice it, fatalities occurred. Uh, fatalities are always going to be a tragedy. Whether or not you agree with a person, whether or not you agree with their actions that led to their demise. At 4 p.m. on January 6, 2021, a woman was shot as the mob stormed the Capitol, scaling walls, breaking windows to gain entry. A San Diego resident named Ashley Babbitt was shot in the chest by law enforcement as she attempted to enter the building through one of the broken windows. Uh, she did not die immediately. She was given uh, medical attention, but did unfortunately pass away. Uh, we know a little bit more about her as, as the news emerged, but for a long time, she was simply acknowledged as in the unidentified first injury and then the first uh, fatality. Uh, later reports cite three more fatalities from um, what was originally described just vaguely as medical conditions. We do have the answers on those now. I will go ahead and give it to you. Uh, the reports say that one of the fatalities was a heart attack in reaction to a flashbang grenade. The second fatality was a fall, a 30-foot fall off scaffolding from the Capitol building. And then the third fatality, um, individual carrying a taser, accidentally tased himself and as a result had a fatal heart attack. It's easy to snicker at that one a little bit, but like you said, every death is a, is a tragedy. Uh, and that scaffolding would have been those um, uh, scaffolding on either side in the lawn that were set up for the inauguration coming up, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we, we should mention also, I, I don't think we got to it in the first part of uh, this series, but uh, there were other things erected by the mob, such as a gallows, which is a very loaded symbol, but a gallows was erected uh, with people in the crowd chanting that they were going to hang Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House. Uh, then I believe a large cross was erected. I do not know at this point whether it was set aflame. It's also worth mentioning, too, that uh, just a few days prior, there were, I don't know, let's call them attacks, I guess, or at the very least, uh, acts of uh, intimidation on both Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell's private residences. Uh, mm -hmm. The Nancy Pelosi one is particularly disturbing because it says, uh, what does it say? Uh, sack, cancel, rent, we want everything. Uh, and then there is a severed pig's head. Uh, with blood strewn everywhere, uh, and this is right in front of her garage in San Francisco. And uh, Mitch McConnell vandalism at his um, performative home in Kentucky, and I'll tell you why I think that's performative, uh, that 
that vandalism, I think, was related to the um, the divisive proposal to provide additional COVID relief uh, for people who are suffering through unemployment and uh, obviously enormous medical bills, as happens anytime someone has an illness in the United States. I say performative because, and this is not just a ding on McConnell, uh, this is common with a lot of lawmakers, you have to have a legal resident residency in the state that you uh, represent or purport to represent. Uh, but from what I understand, at least, I don't want to speak for everybody, but what I understand, at least, um, McConnell spends the vast majority of his time at his D.C. residence because, you know, like many, uh, many members of Congress, he there are times where he needs to spend most of his time in D.C. So odds are he was not at the home or at the structure in Kentucky when it was vandalized. And really quickly, also just to say I, I, what I was thinking when you said performative, in addition to that, was it's it's not it's not a small house, but it's not a monolithic mansion either. So it gives sort mm-hmm. of the impression of like, I'm one of you. I'm one of the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Noel. And, and you know, of course— this is just this is just based on what we see with a lot of politicians. If there's proof that McConnell spends a majority of his time at the Kentucky residence, then of course uh, that it, then that would be that's the fact of the matter. But from what we understand now, that that is not the case, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because when you are in the halls of power like this, you do need to be on the scene pretty frequently. We mentioned a little bit of pub, of reaction from the officials, from the politicians. Uh, you may recall that President-elect Joe Biden took to stage first before uh, current President Donald Trump and called for uh, called for civility. Of course, uh, called for. Uh, into violence, said this is not what America represents, and then specifically called on President Trump to make a statement. At 4.15, January 6th, Donald Trump released a statement. It was taped, not live. Uh, He repeated his belief that the election was stolen, and uh, he is convinced, in his opinion, the truth will out. And then he told the insurrectionist, quote, we love you, you are very special, Following up with, you know, I understand uh, where you're coming from, essentially, I'm paraphrasing there, and then told them to go home. Uh, I do want to point out my uh, my initial reaction on Twitter there, just because I suspected that that taped statement might be taken down off of the platforms he was using at the time, was to quote that specifically. And I said, uh, we love you. You are very special. Donald Trump to domestic terrorists, January 6th, 2021. That's on my personal Twitter. Uh, That does not representative of the views of our network necessarily. That's at Ben Bullen, HSW on Twitter. It's a it's a it's a great uh, account to follow. Um, I, I also would add this ties right back into his uh, primary focus on loyalty above all. Um, he's hanging on to this contingent. This is kind of all he has left. This is his last ditch effort here, and he is uh, appealing to that sense of loyalty. I love you. I feel your pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it. Front-loading it with that, and then ending it with, but go home. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm into what you're doing. I support what you're doing, because what you're doing supports me, but, but stop. Or don't. You know, I mean, that's the vibe that I got. 
And Matt, to your earlier point about the use of language, the nuanced use of language here, uh, there is an explicit statement in this uh, taped recording. And in and there in this statement, he explicitly says, we don't want anybody hurt. Uh, what do you think about the language of that statement, Matt? To me, it's all a deflection. The statement and this entire this entire thing where where earlier in the day he made statements that we discussed in the last episode about how we have to fight and fight really hard and we have to we have to we have to essentially prevent this from happening and do everything we can to prevent it from happening and then to say look you guys you know you guys tried but let's let's all be peaceful and go home it's all a deflection off of himself is what it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's, I know some people will take issue with that, but it feels, it feels very much like that to me. Yeah. And, and at around 5 PM. So about what, 45 minutes after this statement is disseminated, uh, officers on the scene do deploy uh, flashbang grenades and the tear gas we mentioned earlier uh, in an attempt to clear remaining um, members of the mob from the specifically the west side of the Capitol before that 6 p.m. curfew hits. Now, I may have I may have uh, pickled some cucumbers or ruffled some feathers with the phrase domestic terrorism. It's not an attempt to be hyperbolic. It's not an attempt to be alarmist. Here is why I use that phrase quite deliberately, because at least two IEDs, improvised explosive devices, were found. The street name for these would be pipe bombs. And they weren't they weren't just targeting, you know, the um, the ostensible political opponents of Donald Trump. There was one pipe bomb at the local RNC office. There was another one at the local DNC office. Uh, there was also uh, there was also more stuff found, but this was on the the actual grounds of the Capitol. Yeah, uh, there was also a long gun found and a cooler full of Molotov cocktails on the Capitol grounds. Uh, a long gun is I, it's not quite a sniper rifle. It's something along those lines. It's a long range weapon, right? It could be any rifle, mm. or but really. It, it wasn't it wasn't defined in the moment okay, there. Got it. Mm, which which means that the specific make is yet to be released or publicly identified. You know what I mean? And I wouldn't be surprised if there's an investigation into, you know, chain of ownership for that, fingerprints, things of that nature. Uh, but at this point, at this point in the story, we are we are post breach as the news is taken to calling it, post-invasion, as some others have called it. Uh, the insurrectionist mob has occupied the Capitol for a number of hours, of five hours, I believe. Does that, does that sound about right, guys? Yep. Yeah, okay. So about five hours. They're roaming freely through the offices of Congress. And here again, we can see numerous photographs. Um, the phrase we use often in the in the South is telling on themselves. We can see uh, photos from the insurrectionists as they shout from the floor of the House or the Senate, you know, saying things like um, Donald Trump won this election. Um, you can see one guy's got his uh, feet propped up, I guess is the word, uh, in the office of Nancy Pelosi. Uh, they are earlier, as we mentioned, they were taking selfies with some members of law enforcement. Uh, they were also posting videos 
social streams, photographs on on social media, left and right. Uh, Many of these people were not uh, attempting to disguise themselves, neither their their faces nor their voices nor mannerisms. And let's not forget that they're also none of them are wearing masks during a global pandemic. Uh, you know, I just wanted to point that out. Not not wearing masks to shield their identity or for the maybe more practical reason of, you know, to, to pr- protect themselves and others from COVID. And another popular rallying cry was, this is our house. This is mm-hmm. our house. Because the, uh, the capital is referred to as the people's house. And that's a reference to that. And they're like, we're taking it back. This is our house. Mm-hmm. And several, several individuals uh, in this group are self-identifying, self-describing as revolutionaries, not protesters. Again, there's a reason. There there are reasons that we're being very specific with the terms here. You can absolutely protest. You can absolutely disagree. As a matter of fact, I would say it is American to do so. We have have hundreds of years of precedence on why this kind of – why dissent – in some way is important and crucial to the health of the nation, but this is not the same thing. You can see images of this mob roaming door to door shouting, quote, where the f*** are they? Who do you think they're talking about? You know what I mean? I'm pretty sure they're talking about members of Congress. And then as more photos come out, people start delving in. We see particular things that make this look less and less like some attempt at a peaceful occupation. There is an individual who appears to be armed, carrying zip ties. This is strong circumstantial evidence that at least some factions of of these groups uh, intended to either physically harm or physically take possession of members of Congress or their associated staff members. I don't know. Do you guys think I'm reading tea leaves there? Nope. I, that's all, that's <laughs> well, what you, I think well, the zip ties are for. I, I think so. I, yeah. I think you can say at least one individual was Correct. was planning on doing something like that or had that crazy idea. Another thing I saw quite a, a lot of were baseball bats and just kind of bludgeony type weapons, you know, like, you know, mob 101, like surprised there weren't pitchforks. Just I, I think we just uh, I, I I agree with everything you guys are saying. I think we just have to keep in mind that there there's a percentage of people who are there who I think you could describe as insurrectionists. There's also a group of people there. I don't know how many. There's no way for for us to know. Mm-hmm. But a group of people there that were just caught up in that mob mentality after going to that rally and and getting all riled up mm-hmm. and 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 having some some similar feelings that uh, that are of connection to either the president or you know whatever whatever ideologically is being fought for that are just they happen to be there and they happen to continue and now they've found themselves inside the Capitol. Uh, I'm just I think we just have to say that. Yeah, I hope I did a good job uh, establishing that in part one as well. But you're right, we do have to we do have to say that. And the one thing I would note. The one reason I'm saying factions or individuals, Matt, rather than simply one person with zip ties is because if you look at the forums and the time leading up to this, again, premeditated event, we see people writing, here's our plan, here's what we're going to do. Are they just being internet tough guys? Were, were they all – were all those messages from that one guy? I don't know. The one per, only one person is shown with zip ties though. It's a very fair point. Agreed. 
and I, and I can only imagine the moment of realization. Some of those uh, lesser uh, problematic elements felt when they realized how in over their heads they were and how they they went they took it too far and now they're getting swept up in something they maybe weren't fully prepared to be a part of that's true i mean think about this too if you look through the photographs you see people who do not appear as if they came to the capital with the express aim of doing violence to anyone you see quite elderly people i think did you guys see those photographs as well i haven't um, seen those yeah. yeah, and you can go on live. This is one of the best times to use the service LiveLeak. If you go on LiveLeak, you can watch videos. Uh, there's one of a Capitol Police officer attempting to prevent a bunch of people from coming up some steps and then getting into another vestibule area. And he's got his baton out and, you know, saying, get back, get back, get back, and attempting to do his best to prevent people from coming up. But he's one person and there's a large mass of people moving towards him. So he, you know, get retreats back up to the stairs where there's a larger number of officers, Capitol Police officers inside the building. And at that point, once once the group moves into this area where the police officers are and the police officers move in to meet the group, they the officers are fully outnumbered. But the the individual human beings that are there uh, that are not supposed to be there are standing their ground and just standing there and, and refusing to leave, but they're not being violent and they're, they don't appear to be, you know, it, what I heard in the audio was there's no violent things being discussed. It was just, they decided they were going to place themselves in that Capitol building. Um, and then the police officers at that point cannot respond with force because they are vastly outnumbered in an interior position. So, like, strategically, that becomes, I, I, I just, I guess what I'm saying is, like, there's so much going on and there's so much chaos, which is the word we use at the very top of this episode, that, you know, we're, what we're doing is giving you, everybody listening, all the varying pieces of the, you know, the type, the groups that may be involved. And it's so varying. Um, we're just going to give you everything that we have seen. Yeah, yeah, and to be clear, I'm I'm in absolute agreement on that. I don't want to seem as though I am somehow not. What I'm what a, one thing I think you guys would find of interest is that uh, there was a stated calculus to this because uh in the world of PR they would call some things optics, right? Uh there's there's some things that look like really bad optics where you see um you see the police, you know, clearly allowing people entry into let's call it an outer perimeter of the Capitol. So later statements said that the, and I appreciate the use of the word strategic, the strategic plan there, or the strategy there, I should say, is, uh, is that given that these forces are vastly outnumbered, they wanted to create a smaller perimeter that they could defend feasibly. You know what I mean? Because otherwise, if there's just a line that's two or three, uh, officers deep, then it could easily get overrun and it could easily get escalated into a very violent situation. So that that is that is the stated logic. And I love that you're bringing up the fact that there that not all of the officers appear to be on the same page. That's very, very important. You know what I mean? It's not like 
all of the law enforcement in D.C. said, hey, let's just let's leave this open. Let's tear down these barricades and stuff. You can see documented on LiveLeak, on other other platforms. You can see people who are clearly just trying their best to maintain some sort of order and to de-escalate things, even though they are woefully, woefully outnumbered. You can also see, I've said several times here that this is premeditated. Um, you can also see details in these images that I think strongly indicate there was premeditation, again, in factions of this force. Uh, one of the things uh, would be the T-shirts. Uh, you can see these T-shirts bearing slogans with things like Auschwitz camp, which is a reference to genocide in World War II and clearly anti-Semitic in nature. You can also see T-shirts saying things like Civil War, January 6th, 2021. Oh, I'm not a, I don't have a doctorate in T-shirts, but I'm pretty sure those were printed in advance. What do you think? It feels like that's pretty plausible. What's the uh, Auschwitz camp referencing? Like, I understand what it's referencing like historically, but in this situation, what's it referencing? That's a good question, Noel. I think, I I think without having read an interview with the person wearing that T-shirt, I, th I I'm pretty sure that it was it was uh, meant to be an anti-Semitic message, mm -hmm. or possibly a QAnon, you know, like big picture, like big brother conspiracy kind of reference as if like this administration, uh, this new administration coming in represents, you know, Democrats eating babies and, you know, rounding people up into camps or something. I, maybe I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, maybe it's quite it's possible that there is perhaps some reference we we don't get. But I would argue it's in that kind of phrasing is inseparable from anti-Semitism. Oh, a million percent. Um, and you could see other reports of, of other T-shirts, uh, other paraphernalia, of course. And the building itself was the interior, I believe, was secured in the early evening. Uh, but, but crowds remained outside into the night. And um, there was this thing happening, I, I believe it was episode or first part of this episode, we talked about um, – the use of language, both in media and in politics. And I don't, I, let me know if you guys noticed this, Matt, Noel, I know we were all watching this. Did you notice that a lot of the anchors seemed to be waxing a little bit poetic when they were talking about the curfew? They were like, the light is, the curfew is at <laughs> yes. 6 p.m. The sun is already setting on Washington and the country, or like the light is falling on the Capitol. The friscalating dusk light. Every, everything is been feeling like a scripted reality show lately and it's just all part of it guys <laughs> that's very good foreshadowing right or, or the simulation the perhaps mm -hmm. uh, and at this point let's uh let's pause for just a moment we'll be back after a word from our sponsor to look at uh some of the immediate aftermath of the events in washington dc I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop. Podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. All right, and we are back. So in probably what felt like the beginning of the uh, the restoring of order, we did see a larger police force move in and clear the perimeter, clear the steps. By the time it was night, there's a lot of concern that this wouldn't happen by nighttime and then all bets are off, you know, because it's just hard to it's a lot harder to round people up under cover of darkness. Uh, it did seem that that was effectively done. A lot of those tactics of you know creating a perimeter of human bodies with shields and pushing people back, pushing people back, that was done. And the uh, facility was secured in so much as they felt comfortable reconvening Congress who began uh, the continuation of the work they had started earlier in the night. Uh, and by this point, all of these folks had been, you know, in hiding in various rooms. I, I heard a lot of them talking on a lot of news shows, calling in, everyone asking them, are you okay? We don't want to give away your location, but are you okay? Uh, and I heard one particular, I wish I remembered the, the gentleman's name, but it was a Republican, and he was talking about how, he was sort of holed up with a lot of folks from both sides of the aisle, literally kind of hiding together and that conversations were happening and the texts were being exchanged. And there were a lot of like people kind of changing their perspective on this protest that they were about to do or this ceremonial, um, you know, objection to the election results. Uh, so that does begin uh, the, the process that was interrupted so uh, suddenly and shockingly earlier in the day. Yeah, yeah. For the uh, for the first time in possibly a while, a lot of people were watching C-SPAN 
just a tiny point, but that that's something that hit me. Uh, Congress does reconvene. Uh, and they state they're going to be working into the night to certify the election. Uh, some prominent members of Congress from the House to the Senate make opening statements. You know what I mean? You'll see Mitch McConnell making statements, Nancy Pelosi, Schumer. Uh, the list goes on and uh, they begin the process or they, you know, they're back into the process. During this, during this statement and during this, this time, that um, you just mentioned, Noel, you're right. Multiple people, multiple members of the House and about half of those Senate members who had planned to object withdraw their intent to object. In fact, Senator Kelly Loeffler from Georgia, this was a senator who was appointed and recently lost the runoff election. Uh, senator Kelly Loeffler takes, takes the floor and says, uh, given these events, I will no longer support uh, opposition to this electoral po- college process. So she's essentially saying at this point, you know, when it comes time to certify stuff for Georgia, she's not going to be – she's not going to raise a flag and attempt to trigger, you know, a debate on the legitimacy of those conclusions. And so things wind on and on and on and on. Congress works until – uh, or they do this process until 3.39 a.m., I think it was, Eastern Time, when the current vice president, Pence, finalizes the Electoral College vote tally and declares that uh, the Biden-Harris ticket, uh, that they are the winners of the election uh, by um, by a vote of 306 to 232. Before this happens, before we hit 3.40 in the morning, another thing happens. Current president Donald Trump is banned from Twitter, or hes I should say he's suspended, right, for a very specific amount of time, for 12 hours. And for the first time, I believe, has ad- actually had tweets removed. I believe that's correct. Instead, now, previously, some had been marked as unconfirmed or even misleading. Fact check kind of little addendums that Twitter was doing as as a way of confronting the allegations that they were contributing to this spread of misinformation. Right, right. Just so. And so um, one thing that was interesting to this, I think would be interesting to uh, our fellow conspiracy realists in the crowd here is that Edward Snowden uh, came out, and this was actually on January 7th. He said, Facebook officially silences the president of the United States. For better or worse, this will be remembered as a turning point in the battle for control over digital speech. And a lot of people gave him, gave him, some, uh, gave him some flack about that. You know what I mean? Not everybody agreed. And this all goes back to that power of language. And that power of like, what is free speech? When does it cross the line from just expressing one's views to inciting others to act? And, and uh, you know, and does the weight of a president's words make, make a difference? And I, I think the answer is yes to that. But I'm interested in your thoughts, Matt, on the, the, the language here and if this is censorship or if this is just doing the right thing. Well, I don't have the answer for you if it was the right thing. But I do know that the president's responses to the actions that were taking place uh, did not calm things down, and they it doesn't seem at least like they were meant to calm things down. It seems like they were meant to i don't know to to get whatever aid or advisor was telling him to hey, 
calm this thing down. It was like to appease that person is what it felt like to me. Doesn't mean that that's necessarily true. Yeah. Um, And then that kind of response continued. And it was the response to his responses that got him uh, indefinitely and temporarily banned from using the services. The language that was used in the responses did not seem to be calming. It seemed to continue to foment the anger that was that was being riled up there. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because um, to Snowden's point there, what I'm understanding that as is a concern about setting a precedent because we have to remember, even though these social media platforms and conglomerates, even though they are in, in bed with intelligence agencies to one degree or another, they are private entities, which means they retain the right to, for whatever reason they wish, uh, to refuse service to anyone, anywhere, for any reason. Uh, this this becomes um, concerning when it hits, when it, in, like when it, runs up against the notion of governmental agencies, right? Because what what happens, like if we, uh, Snowden said, you know, think past the next 13 or so days, right? Post-January 20th, what happens if now the precedent is, um, if Twitter doesn't like you for any reason? You're you're shut down if if you are if like if Twitter suddenly gets in a tangle with the FBI because of some kind of I'm making stuff up here some kind of Twitter crime and the FBI you know is uh, still on Twitter then Twitter can just cut them off. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth saying too. It's not against the law to lie, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's not against the law to spread misinformation. It's again about the intent or about the results. And that's why it's so tricky, because it's like, does he know he's lying? <laughs> well, do you know what is against the law, though? Inciting a riot. Yes. And and that's essentially what was happening, whether the president understood it or not. Um, and Twitter understood it. And Facebook understood it. Um, but I totally see what Edward Snowden is saying. He's, he's saying that from the perspective of a whistleblower. Imagine if someone who knows the truth about some terrible thing or some group or, you know, whatever, and is trying to get that information out however they can, and they are silenced. That right. That is, I'm sure, from where it is, yeah, that statement is coming from. Yeah, yeah. I've heard it. I've heard it phrased as Congress abdicating power to tech companies, which is which is an interesting way to look at it. Uh, we do want to say, though, that after after President Trump was suspended from Twitter, there was another statement released. And this statement doubled down on the claim that the election was rigged, specifically stolen from him. And then it also had the following, a confirmation that there will be, quote, an orderly transition on January 20th. We alluded to this in part one. This is the closest, at the time of this recording, this is the closest the current president has come to uh, conceding the election. And also important to note, it is not the same thing as actually conceding. It's saying, I didn't lose, this is rigged, but there will be a peaceful transition on January 20th. What did you guys make of that? That. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's the best we're going to get. This is a this is a man who is, I think, pathologically uh, 
just predisposed to to not accepting defeat. I mean, if you if you read his uh, the you know biographies about him and his relationship with his father, like he was basically born and bred uh, and had this notion hammered into his head that the worst thing in the world to be is a loser, uh, and he's acted that way for his entire life and, and for his entire presidency. In the end, the dangerous thing for me is that it's the same response. It's I I am conceding to the notion of the people who need me to say these things, but also. I didn't lose and this, the right. And that he's speaking to people who, the people. you know, are, who care about him and his message and, and are willing to take action for him on his behalf. Further action, potentially. Excellent point. Let me read the entirety of the statement for anybody who hasn't heard it yet. It is this, even though I totally disagree with the outcome of the election and the facts bear me out, nevertheless, there will be an orderly transition on January 20th. I have always said we would continue our fight to ensure that only legal votes were counted. While this represents the end of the greatest first term in presidential history, it's only the beginning of our fight to make America great again. It's only the beginning of our fight, man. Right. So does that sound like, Matt, you said something that really stuck out to me when you were like, ah, it's not the same thing. I remember that like the, in the great gallery of, of, uh, non-apologies it's like what what's the what's the main like oh i'm sorry you feel like you deserve an apology yeah exactly i'm sorry you feel i'm sorry you feel that way or i'm sorry yeah there it is feel like i hurt you or i'm sorry if it came off as though i were doing this that's a little better but it's still not great it's not i mean yeah so that's why i say it's not actually the same thing as a concession it's just saying there will be an orderly transition Yeah, but the scary thing is that it doesn't matter now if he is committing to an orderly transition, if all of his team members are committing to that transition, if it even begins that way and starts going down that way, he has spoken then in that same statement to those people that are willing to take action to try and stop it from happening or to try and save him or protect it. Uh, It it really... (laughs) It's really disheartening and it and it it's scary to be honest mm-hmm. be, because it doesn't matter if he knows that's what he's done or not that's what he's done now, now within the hour while we've been recording this there there was I was just I was actually googling what C-SPAN stands for because I've never really known um but while I was googling that uh I found within the the last hour there was a statement from Kaylee McEnany right uh, not from Trump himself she came out, took no questions, and basically parroted back the condemnation type talk that a lot of lawmakers have been coming out with. This is un-American. This is abhorrent. We condemn this. And then referenced the burning of a church. Remember that church? That was like the one like like uh, example of arson in the summer that like, they keep pointing to. And I, and I'm not saying that wasn't uh, that wasn't a non-issue because it, it obviously was. But it, I feel like it was a little bit overblown the way they describe it as though the church was in flames. It was like a small easily contained fire like in the basement or something like that if i'm not mistaken but don't let me speak out of turn there but uh referenced that and said a year ago or whatever ago i stood in this podium and condemned that and said that wasn't america and i do the same thing today but then god talk about a susser when she walks away just the this the general sound of like dissatisfaction where's the president is the is the is the call that kept coming like why why are you here um which I think is a fair question. Insider reports are troubling. 
you know, we're at the stage in the news cycle as we record this when we hear things that inevitably come from like an anonymous source close to events or an anonymous source close to the White House, an anonymous source positioned with the Secret Service, right? And that's because these people are – many of these people are in a rock and a hard place, very high stakes. Uh, that's part of the reason why we're seeing so many resignations from the cabinet. Uh, as of now – as we've been recording this, there have not actually been that many arrests considering how many people were involved and how many people are easily identified. The FBI has put out requests for assistance identifying people. And uh, Internet users have been more than happy, right, to attempt to assist with that. Many of them, however, are not trained investigators. Not to mention so many of these, uh, frankly, entitled folks kind of narking on themselves, thinking they were justified uh and now like like there was one guy from Ohio um whose name escapes me at the moment but he you know posted a selfie video going in face fully uh, revealed using a, a personal account with his information and his name and now he's being doxxed you know not doxxed but like you know i mean just look up his linkedin people know who he is he's probably going to lose his job there was a newly elected lawmaker from gosh i want to say west virginia who also posted a selfie video going in with the big surge, you know, he said his name out loud. Now he's being called to resign. Um, so people are narking on themselves on this because there was a certain sense of entitlement that was staggering to me. Like of we're, we're justified. We can hold up our phone. This is a big moment for us as opposed to like, we know we're doing something bad. I don't think a lot of these folks knew they were doing something mm. bad. And the OPSEC is just, Sloppy. I mean, there's one guy who is wearing his work badge clearly displayed. Don't act surprised when you lose your job for that. Again, we're recording this a few days before it comes out. So some of the – we just want to put up a signpost. Some of the stuff we're talking about now, some of the questions we will pose may well be answered. By the time this episode comes out, but uh, as you could tell, hopefully we're we're doing our best to be up to the minute with the information that we have. Right now, members of Congress have drawn up articles of impeachment. Uh, just for if there's the quick question about this that comes up sometimes is: Is there a limit on impeachments? Right? Is an impeachment like a one-time thing? The answer is no. Technically, people can be impeached uh, multiple times. Uh, is it unusual for someone to draw up articles of impeachment for someone who is two weeks away from leaving their post? I would say yes. I would say that's unusual, but these are extraordinary circumstances. The, the big speculative one is the 25th Amendment, which we covered in a previous episode. Well, and we talked about the power that Mike Pence did not have to just overturn election results unequivocally. This is a, a place where the vice president does have a pretty significant role in invoking this. This just in, uh, we've got we've got a up to the second update from uh, our good old mission control here. It appears that Vice President Pence has uh, publicly stated that he does not plan to invoke the 25th Amendment. When we're talking about the 25th Amendment, by the way, we're talking specifically about what's known as Section 4. Section 4 is unique in the 25th Amendment because it allows for the non-consensual removal of a standing president. Section 4 has never been used in the history of the United States. 
And it has to do with the acknowledgement of their inability to discharge their civic duty. And I believe uh, the VP invokes it, and then it has to be voted on. Right. Yeah. So what it's it's since we've never seen it in use before in practice, we don't really have a precedent or an understanding for how it would work in this country. Even the language of um, the the group that has to support this, that has to kind of vote for it and take it to Congress, even that's a little bit fuzzy. It does have to be the vice president. Uh, it could be the majority of the cabinet as well, or it can be like a group approved by law by the Congress. I don't know how far the latitude uh, goes there, but we know that uh, it, regardless of what other members are involved or what groups they're from, it does count on the VP. It hinges on the VP's decision to invoke, and uh, according to that latest report, the VP has no plans to invoke. Even though the president may not be leaving the office via the vice president and the 25th Amendment, uh, there are several positions Individuals within the administration who have already decided to leave, to resign. Um, you know, we're recording this, like we said, on Thursday, the 7th of January, 2021. So over the weekend, there might be more resignations or other things like that that will happen. But as of right now, there are just a few. And, you know, you, you have to think, even though the, the New York Times or someone from the New York Times is reporting that the 25th Amendment won't be invoked by the VP, it doesn't mean that it, something might change. Uh, at least right now it's not happening and you, it has to, we just have to imagine that some of the people leaving, it's because they disagree with what's going on. They can't handle that. They also, some of them may not want to be a part of whatever process would need to take place to impeach the sitting president. Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent, I think that's an excellent observation. The first one that we know about is Elaine Chow, who resigned in the wake of the riot or the insurrection, uh, was serving as Secretary of Transportation. We should also mention, by the way, that Chow is the spouse of Mitch McConnell himself, and Mitch McConnell, in that statement when Congress reconvened, took a strident stance against uh, the current president, Donald Trump, who is also, you know, they're of the same political party, ostensibly. Though those parties may well split, we may be looking at the germination, the genesis of something different in the near future. Uh, at, at this point, we need to make space to talk about some of the conspiracy theories, speculation that have proliferated like wildfire in the wake of these events. And we'll do that after a word from our sponsor. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. 
With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, Podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424 Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. And we're back. Uh, One of the conspiracy theories that proliferated uh, and thrived immediately after this, not even immediately after, during the events on January 6th, was uh, the idea that these people overrunning the Capitol were not actually Trump supporters, that they were not actually people who had attended the rally or they were not – They were not supporters of the current president who had planned to overrun the Capitol, that they were instead agent provocateurs of a sort, that they were, we'll say it, that they were Antifa and that they had planned and disguised themselves uh, as part of an orchestrated attempt to discredit the claims of the Trump administration that the election was fraudulent. Uh, In each alleged case that we have seen so far, again, some new information might emerge, in each alleged case that we've seen so far, the claims have been disproven. Like there have been people who are identified as being both at one of the protests over 2020 and then being at the, the rally or the Capitol on January 6th. But in each of those each of those cases where those people have been identified, it turns out that they are in fact uh, supporters of the administration, or they are affiliated with one of those associated groups, like we named earlier: Proud Boys, QAnon, Oath Keepers, Three Percenters, and so on. This is a really familiar argument, though, right? Didn't we see the same kind of thing thrown around with the BLM protests and? you know, all the around George Floyd, that there were agent provocateurs. We did a whole episode on agent provocateurs that was largely around that event. 
I yeah, I think I think we have to just at least say that maybe that was a part of it, but we currently can't prove it. Yeah, yeah. That's why we've got to be careful to say, like, again, in the claims that we have seen, the ones that point to a specific person, those have been those have been disproven. Unless that person is like a sleeper agent for years and years level of uh, Antifa or anti-fascism. And this also leads into the idea of um, the entire thing being orchestrated, right? Because there are many people uh, who would – who would argue that the establishment Democratic Party, the establishment Republican Party are fingers on a hand. And I do have to say in, in, in certain instances, there is clear collusion between those parties and they have been much less antagonistic toward one another in backrooms than they have been in the public sphere. Well, we talk about that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in this case – in this case, we just haven't seen proof yet. Uh, if if there is proof, of course we would want to see it. There's another there's another thing here. The notes for this show are so crazy because it says just like we have three different sections called the aftermath. <laughs> Did you notice the that? after after aftermath and the pre aftermath? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about let's talk about a larger horizon. You know, in in these situations, it is so difficult to look beyond the next moment, the next hour, the next announcement. We we have this, um, I would say, to a degree, necessary myopia that comes that comes into play. But if we look beyond the horizon, similar to what Snowden was uh, was referring to, this may well be just the beginning. Of other similar events. Oh, we didn't even – did we mention this? I think we did. Yeah, we did mention this. Multiple other states, capitals, and multiple other states, capitals with an A, experienced similar events, including Georgia. Uh, so Mayor Bowser of D.C. declared a public emergency in addition to that curfew, and that extends up to January 20th, the date of the – inauguration and i believe the inauguration itself is going to be virtual due to covid is that correct i mean i imagine that it'll be ceremonial and it'll take place on the grounds as it normally would but it won't be they'll keep up they sure as hell if they weren't before they're going to now keep a tight perimeter on that capitol building yeah it's true and we can only imagine that even as a virtual event security will be much higher than it was in the capitol um you know, regardless of how you voted in the U.S. or how you feel about protest, which longtime listeners, you know, we strongly support the right, at times the responsibility to protest. Uh, there's no denying it. this. This was to a degree planned. Uh, and while to our earlier points, not all members of this group may or these groups may have showed up planning to do this to overrun the Capitol. Many did. This was planned, not just in D.C., but in multiple other places. Uh, What were the motivations of this group? In many cases, those involved do seem to genuinely believe the outcome of the presidential election is incorrect. But many holding – there's something interesting, and I know we've all seen it. A lot of the elected officials who held this position before January 6th, whether or not they recanted their opposition – they were objecting to the same ballots that got them elected. So they they were saying, this thing is rigged. 
I mean, not my part, not my part, just the part I, I don't agree with. It's, it's just the kind of, it's the kind of stuff, the sort of double speak that really does make your head spin where it's like, yeah, I agree with this until the moment that it goes against me. And, and all of these notions like that, you know, if you're that call with Raffensperger, Trump's talking about uh, these voting machines and like, you know, really drilling down into like, oh, we're the, the Dominion people coming in and removing parts from the machines and installing new parts. And they're just like, no, <laughs> he's like, are you sure? And they're like, Yes. So, I mean, it is the, so much of this stuff. There was a whole thing where there was a video of um, something happened where, like, some things were under a table or a skirt around, like, a table, and, and they were referred to as being suitcases, and he's referring to, like, shredding of ballots and all this stuff. All things that uh, the Raffensperger and the, you know, election officials here in Georgia were able to disprove very cleanly. Um and yet it just keeps coming up. You just keep repeating it and repeating it and repeating it. And people just eventually kind of just believe the repetition rather than the because 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 the allegations are sexier than the disproving of the allegations in some degree, especially if it supports, almost always. Yeah, but especially <laughs> if it supports your thing, you know, your belief. And, and I don't think it's a matter of people being stupid. I just think belief is a powerful thing. And Trump is really good at inspiring loyalty. And when you repeat things over and over and over again, people react. And it's not about intellect. I know some very smart people that have fallen down that rabbit hole for other things. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, this date, January 6th, is not something that just popped up out of nowhere. We talked about it earlier in the first episode a little bit. We talked about it in this episode a little bit. Um, it was telegraphed by a lot of people on different forums. There were QAnon supporters that discussed the date. Trump himself tweeted that this is a date to remember, uh, January 6th. Um, and they're, oh, Proud Boys too, for sure. And we talked about the t-shirts that were printed out, right? Uh, we, we know that it takes time to print t-shirts in mass. Uh, it's not like they were just made all of a sudden. And, um, you know, you take the internet forums and you will see people discussing this date and where they're going to be and, and how they're going to make this happen. And you can argue that that's for the Save America rally. That was planned, right? That was a thing that was going to take place. And maybe they were just going to go check out the rally itself. But if you look deeper into those forums and what's being discussed, you'll see that there's probably some intention here, at least on the part of some individuals. There's a really interesting, uh, somebody that I want to read up more on, a, a historian from the University of Chicago that was making a lot of the press rounds yesterday. Um, her name is Kathleen Ballou, and she's an assistant professor of history at the University of Chicago, and she wrote a book called Bring the War Home, the White Power Movement in Paramilitary America. Uh, and she identified the following um, from symbology, from hand signs, etc. Uh, she said, I think that we're looking at a broad array of people that include QAnon believers and conspiracy theorists, some parts of Trump's most devoted base. Uh, that's its own thing. Uh, and then some activists who have been organizing quite opportunistically towards the overthrow of the U.S. and its de democratic institutions for decades. Opportunistically, a.k.a. not ideologically aligned with any of this, just using it as a springboard to achieve their ends. I think that is what you'd call an agent provocateur, right? Yeah, I'm I'm interested in the internal like the citizens who have those views and are working internally to make that happen but i'm way more interested in foreign powers that are seeing this as an opportunistic mm. moment um but but we we can talk about that 
Yeah, yeah. So this was, to your point, Matt, this was telegraphed well in advance. There are multiple forums. There are multiple great reporting investigative outlets predicting this a long time ago and just zeroing in increasingly on the specifics of the event. And those those forum plans do include uh, explicit stated goals of, you know, attacking the press and things like that. And therefore, I would argue any claim of surprise on the part of law enforcement or politicians remains suspect. It's sus, as you would say in the game Among Us. There are only a few possibilities for not knowing something like this was brewing. They are an egregious level of incompetence or willful ignorance, a head in the sand kind of vibe. There's a third possibility, the quiet part, not a ton of mainstream outlets are saying aloud, collusion. So check out our earlier episode on extremist infiltration in the military and, uh, and, and in law enforcement, candidly. Uh, also, you know, uh, President-elect Joe Biden came out today as we were recording this and, and pointed out explicitly, he said, look, there's no way around it. Uh, everybody knows that Black Lives Matter protesters were treated differently than the folks in D.C. yesterday. I'm paraphrasing here, but you can find his speech in full. Uh, law enforcement did signal this to far-right groups, to folks who were opportunistically piggybacking on this stuff. And I'll get to the thing about foreign powers, too, because I agree, Matt, that's crucial. Um, law enforcement was every, – every time there was a radically – get it – different response to – uh, far left versus far right protesters, that was taken as a signal, right? That was taken as the idea that uh, that was taken as saying, we will not come down on you as hard nor as definitively as we've come down on other groups. So you've heard it before if you've listened to this show for a while. I've often maintained we teach people how to treat us. While that sounds like a cliche, a truism, a figure of speech, it is all three of those things. Uh, <laughs> it rings absolutely true here. Uh, and this is, this is that sentiment on a macrocosmic level. Authorities and law enforcement, whether through negligence or whether through design. Now, I don't think this was a unified thing, just to be clear. Factions, let's say, of law enforcement, whether through negligence or through design, have taught certain Genres of extremists that they are literally able to storm the seat of American government with little to no risk of injury and at this point, little to no risk of serious repercussions. Now, again, you know, that may change. I imagine the reaction or I hope the reaction from the federal level is to come down hard in, in this, you know, in, in this regard because I would expect people should get in trouble. If they're out stealing podiums from Congress, I don't know. I'm not I'm not the guy in charge of podiums. I'm just guessing. Well, that's certainly been the call from lawmakers from both sides of the aisle is par prosecute these, you know, uh, people <laughs> to the greatest extent of the law. I, but, you know, there's a lot of bluster involved in politics. Uh, it's almost as though they don't always tell the truth. Um, but, yeah, it's certainly something that's been said. It was it was said in that statement from from Trump's camp. So we'll see. 
because mm-hmm. the info sure is out there because right. they weren't they weren't trying to hide themselves or their identities one iota. I mean, remember the FBI found uh, one protester last year via Etsy of all things. You guys remember that? Um, I think I don't. But but this is Matt. The point you raise, I don't want to lose it because it is so crucial. This is a gold mine for foreign countries and non-state actors that are antagonistic to the U.S. Aside from being in an international embarrassment of the highest order, it weakens you, the U.S. position in the world during a very turbulent time. China is becoming increasingly authoritarian. Uh, the doomsday clock of the Middle East powder keg is just like it's just hovering, you know, a few milliseconds, a few figurative milliseconds, I should say, before midnight. So, like, how, how bad can this get? Military allies abroad, we were talking about this off air. Military allies abroad have come forward and they have said, not us, not not us as in the show, not us as in the U.S. government, military allies in other countries that we work with have gone on record saying they believe the current president deliberately conspired to incite a coup. And they took it a step further, folks. They said this plan may have occurred with assistance from federal-level law enforcement officials. I don't, I don't know. What do you think about that? Those are heavy, heavy words. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with it. And I just wanted to end, for, for my part, end with a quote from a, a tweet from that Kathleen Ballou, who I just mentioned. Um, she said, getting lots of notes. So for those who need to hear this, it feels this bad because it wasn't a protest. The sadness and rage comes from seeing a terrorist attack. Only by sheer luck was it not a bombing. Uh, and we know that it could have been because uh, there were bombs. Uh, and there's ample reason to think we could have seen assassinations. Yeah, and it stinks, but we we may still, you know, and that that's why this is so so freaky because it it hasn't stopped, and there has you know, it's it's like lighting a fuse, and there's no real way to to turn it off. It's made out of that special substance where it's very difficult to stop that fuse from being from continuing to uh, burn. You know, sorcerer's and, and, apprentice. Yeah, and, sorry, and, just have to say it. No, yeah, sources for for sure. Um, those those buckets just are going to keep going. But it, I guess what I mean is, if there is if there are foreign intelligence agencies that are looking in and saying, "Wow, yeah, this is serious." If there's actionable intelligence, I implore you, everyone out there in MI five or six or seven or whoever you are, wherever you are, uh, let let us know or send some stuff to uh, Snowden. Let let him let us know. Because um, it definitely feels weird to me. Like, we've been doing this show for long enough. We've been looking at some of these weird things for long enough that it feels as though the actions that were taken could have been, even without the sitting president's knowledge, used against the United States uh, by some foreign intelligence group or you know military that's planning to cause harm to the United States on purpose. It felt that way. Yeah, I mean, consider also the massive opportunity to breach security in a way that hasn't existed before. What if, and we're just speculating here, what if, uh, what if you are a foreign intelligence operative on the ground at these protests? You say, oh, we're getting into the Capitol. We're getting into the offices of Congress. 
They have these handful of bugs. Mm-hmm. Their emails are open. They're still logged yeah. in. You know what I mean? Like I can look at the screen. I could send an email as this congressperson right now. Maybe I'll install just install malware. Right, install malware. That's probably more realistic than what I was going to say. Like maybe they're just going to send an email to their keeper and go lol. Uh, but uh, but. I mean, it's true. It's a massive security leak. There was a guy who got out of – because these people weren't really getting searched when they were getting removed. So there's there's a photograph of somebody with a piece of uh, congressional mail and just took it with him, right? This is the guy who was Wasn't it Pelosi's mail? It was. It think, was. Yeah. That's correct. There's also a note left in uh, that congressperson's desk that says we will not back down. Uh, Surprised nobody like – Took a dump in her drawer or something like that. There's yeah. speculation that someone urinated. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there. There's also. There's also speculation. Mm, increasingly, um, increasingly focused speculation that this, this is the first volley of something bigger, right? Like what happened? I, you know, I saw some. Again, we don't – I don't know how much greens to give these, but I saw statements where someone's like, we're coming back January 19th. You know, like we have – we have learned that we can do – we have learned that we can do this. Um, regardless of what you think about that, uh, it's true. The, some of the forces involved with attacking the Capitol are going to see this as a victory. You know what I mean? They're not going to see it as like, oh, we got defeated because they breached the Capitol. And now, uh, you know, again, we don't have all the answers. We want to hear from you folks. There's one huge question on everyone's mind in the United States and across the planet right now. And it's this. What happens next? Next, you go to Twitter, find us where we're conspiracy stuff or Facebook, also conspiracy stuff or conspiracy stuff show on Instagram and uh, tell us, send us things. We're, we're interested. We want to continue. We will continue looking into this. So we look forward to anything and everything you want to discuss. Just find us on social media. Uh, and if you don't want to do that, we have a phone number. That's right. You can call us at one eight three three S T D W Y T K. Take your three minutes. You get three minutes to say whatever you want to say. Let us know your name or if you want to be anonymous or if you just want us to call you by your first name. Make sure you let us know if it's okay to use your story on air. I would think you, well, you could just leave it for us. That's fine, too. But if you uh, are cool with it, we you might end up hearing yourself on one of our weekly listener mail episodes and... Um, if the stars truly align, you might get a personal call from Mr. Matt Frederick. Yeah, beware. Beware indeed. <laughs> if you don't want to do any of that, uh, but you still want to get in touch and you want to do it sort of a more old-fashioned way, why don't you send us a good old email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Attention true crime enthusiasts searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night. Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.